Hey there. Thank you so much for listening to our Big Time Talker podcast. We're on the Blog Talk Radio Network, live and worldwide from Washington, D.C. I'm Burke Allen, and the show brought to you by our friends at SpeakerMatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. If you're a meeting planner or you're a speaker, visit SpeakerMatch.com and get together and figure out a way forward in this new world that we all live within. And our guest today has been affected as much as anyone else by that new world. He has spent the better part of the last five decades touring the world as an entertainer, as a a singer, a songwriter, a producer. And now he's home like most of the rest of the world. Uh, And he's got some incredible stories to tell from all that time. Currently, he's a member of Voices of Classic Soul, which includes former lead singers of some of the most legendary groups of all time. But prior to that, he spent over a decade as one of the lead singers of the legendary Drifters. Joe Blunt is my friend and my guest on the Big Time Talker podcast. And I want to rewind all the way to the beginning, as we like to do with these conversations, and talk about when you first knew that that you had something there as a singer. So let's go all the way back. When did you sing for the first time? Okay, all the way back. Huh? Yes, sir. <laughs> well, like a lot of... Uh people in this business. I, I first started singing in church uh, as a member of the junior choir at a place called Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., where I grew up. And um, my first experiences with singing uh, and, and uh, was with the choir. So it all started then. Uh, How old were you had... then? Do you remember you know, the first time you were in the junior choir and, and you uh, opened that hymnal and sang? Well, it was probably, I guess I must have been around uh, maybe 11, 12, 10, somewhere in there. Wow. Uh, it just so happened that my mom was the co-director of the choir, and uh, along with uh, a Mrs. Coleman, who was the uh, the main the primary director, and, and just a bunch of kids trying to uh, sing for the Lord, as they say. And it just so happened coincidentally that... Uh, one of the other kids in that choir was a young fellow by the name of Joe Coleman, who later wound up with the Platters. <laughs> and you guys have been lifetime friends ever since, and it all started because your moms were the co-directors of this children's choir. And I think it's interesting, Joe, that, that all these years later, you and Joe Coleman, who went on to be the lead singer of the Platters, you and the Drifters, you still sing together in a church choir. Yeah, yeah, that that much has not changed. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And and growing up as a kid in, in the 1960s in Washington, D.C., you were right in the middle of, of an incredible music scene. Music was was very hot coming out of D.C., and you were a, a part of some, some groups coming up uh, through high school, including one that included uh, a guy who went on to be in The Temptations. That's correct. Yeah, it all started with a, a group, a um, local group here in D.C. called The Chancellors. And we were signed with a local label that uh, uh, had national distribution through Scepter Records, which at that time was Dion Warwick's old label. Right. And uh, we were signed with Scepter and had a, a single out at that time, uh, about uh, 1968, I guess it was, somewhere in there. And uh, they put a single out on us called Sad Avenue, which was my first experience uh, recording professionally. And it was quite an experience. We enjoyed it. It was a time uh, that we were all trying to, to, to make our way 
find our way in this business, which can be pretty complicated sometimes. But incidentally, uh, one of the uh, one of the reasons why we were able to accomplish that at that point was a young man who arranged and produced the recording itself was uh, went on to become a, a very um, well-known producer in the music business, a guy named Freddie Parent. He's uh, passed on now, but uh, he went on to become one of the uh, team that first put together the Jackson Five, among a lot of other artists that he was involved with during the during his time here. And uh, we were fortunate enough to have been affiliated with Freddie back in those days, which when he was just coming out of college, and he was new on the scene, but he was a music genius. He really was. Joe Blunt is our guest today, and we're talking about music. Joe Blunt, former lead singer of the Drifters and uh, also a member of Voices of Classic Soul, alongside his lifelong friend Joe Coleman, former lead singer of the Platters, and Theo Peoples, who was the only guy who was ever in the Temptations and in the Four Tops. Um, when when you were in high school, I guess you were in high school with the Chancellors, right? About that time, high school? Well, I, yeah, just coming out of high school, actually. Can you remember the first place you were or the first time that you heard uh, that Chancellor's song on the radio? Uh, hmm. You know, I think I, I, I was probably uh, may have been riding in the car, actually, the very first time I heard it on the radio. And it was uh, it was an amazing feeling. It really was. It it didn't get as much play as I would like for it to have gotten on the radio. <laughs> but uh, just hearing it on the air was, was an amazing experience. It really felt like, uh, well, it almost felt like, well, we finally arrived, you know, uh, far from that. But... <laughs> But it kind of felt that way at that time, you know. Oh, that's a huge accomplishment. And and I wonder, Joe, if uh, you'd indicated that your mom and Joe Coleman's mom were the, the co-choir directors at, at the junior choir there. Was there any pushback from from your parents when you moved into uh, into secular music? I know I watched a great documentary about Sam Cooke, and, and he just got all sorts of grief when he left his gospel group, the Soulsters, to, to sing secular music, and it was a big decision for him. Was there any of that kind of pushback from your family? Uh, not really. I, I think that the, I'm, not, I'm not really sure that they took it all that seriously at the time, or, or certainly not as seriously as I did. But uh, I think that the, the consensus was that they were, were happy that I was trying to pursue something that meant a lot to me. Um, doesn't mean that they were all that uh, overjoyed about it, <laughs> but uh, it was something that I knew I had to do, and um, and that was that was it, <laughs> you know. It was 1968 so we, when that song came out, and you're right in the middle of a really tumultuous time in the country's history. Dr. Martin Luther King had been assassinated. Vietnam War is raging. Parts of Washington D.C. are on fire with riots. Um, paint a picture for me. What what was it like being a young African-American guy in Washington, D.C., in the middle of all that. Can you sort of take me back there in your mind and what, what your recollections are? Well, it, it was definitely a, a crazy time. I can uh, <clears throat> vividly recall uh, being downtown Washington, D.C., right around the time that the, the riots and so forth broke out. And uh, I had to get on a bus to to get back to my house and uh, as I'm riding on the bus, getting back home from a little job that I had at the time and I could see 
smoke in the air and people running and uh oh it was just really crazy it really was uh that whole riot thing was uh something that none of us really had ever experienced in our time and uh it was definitely a kind of scary time that's for sure and now when you see all this happening again in 2020 you know what goes through your mind do you feel like man we haven't made any progress here well, it does kind of make you wonder, you know. It does make you wonder. I, I don't know. I, I'd like to think that there has been progress made, but um, some of it probably is, is, is more a figment of my imagination than reality, I'm beginning to think. Yeah. But, uh, but I think that if, if, uh, if people would just uh, kind of be a little more empathetic about uh, other people, whether they're different in – uh, different races or different cultures, whatever the case may be, the fact of the matter is that the good Lord put all of us here for one reason or another. And if we can learn to to really accept one another and, and just be part of one big family, uh, the world would be a much better place, that's for sure. You know, I, I'm thinking about you as an 18-year-old kid just graduating from high school and you know, the Vietnam War is out there. You've got to be scared to death. You're going to be shipped off there. Uh, Dr. King is killed. And, and I think of myself as, a, you know, I put myself in that, that mindset of an 18-year-old kid. I'm not sure that I could have wrapped my mind around that level of unrest as a kid if it would have really sunk in. And I wonder, as, as you look back on it now as a grown man, you know, did you realize that the times were extraordinary when they were happening? Uh, I think I did uh, because of the fact that, uh, you know, I mean, obviously it was something that that I had never experienced and, and, and virtually no one else really uh, on the home shores, you know, the kinds of things that were going on at that point. Um, and I was really focused on trying to uh, to get something going in the music business and, and all this other stuff was going on at the same time. And it was really a very strange almost surreal kind of time. It really was. But I was determined to, to try to make my, my way through it all. And um, as I say, having a, a, a little record out at the time, which we thought was going to be the, the thing that would propel us to worldwide fame and all that, <laughs> uh, uh, fell a little short of that. <laughs> you know, but at the time, it was your golden ticket, though. You thought, man, this is on the radio. We've actually got a record deal. We're off to the races. Absolutely, absolutely. Joe Blood is our guest, that. and the song is, is still out there, uh, available online from the Chancellor, Sad Avenue. If you, you do a, a Google search, you look on YouTube, you can still hear a, yo, a young Joe Blunt. Uh, what happened to the other guys in that group? You know, we kind of lost track with, with some of them. Uh, uh, one of the guys is deceased, I know. And, of course, uh, Glenn Leonard was also in that group who uh, wound up with the Temptations at one point and is now still out there doing his thing. Um, and um, a fellow named Jimmy Cottom and a guy named Rick Dorsey. So it was like a five-man group at the time, along with... Um, a gentleman by the name of Willie Lester, who's deceased now, but he was a, an amazing writer and, and turned out to be a great producer as well in his own right. Yeah. How did you uh, manage to, to not be shipped immediately off to Vietnam? I, I know that, that, you know, that, that was the fear of, of every young man, but 
clearly, you know, history now shows uh, when it comes to the numbers that there was a disproportionately large number of, of young black men who went to Vietnam. So, so was that always sort of in the back of your mind? You're trying to get into the music business, and yet you know that at any moment, you're literally your number might come up. Well, <laughs> you would have to ask that, Burke. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, I would. The, the actual fact of the matter is that I actually did get drafted uh, during that period of time or shortly thereafter. And um, basically, at the time, I was given the option of uh, either going into the, the regular military or joining the, the National Guard. And um, because of the circumstances uh, that were happening at that, at that particular point, I was, uh, we had just signed a recording contract with Atlantic Records with the group True Reflection, actually. And um, right around that time, of the, you know, I get the call from Uncle Sam. And so they made some arrangements. I was able to, to join the, uh, the DC National Guard, which I was uh, a member of for six years with the D.C. National Guard Military Police Company, 275th Military Police Company, <laughs> D.C. National Guard. And uh, so that was, um, you know, I still had to, to do some military service, but I was able to uh, kind of maintain some uh, relevance with the music thing as, as well until I was able to get clear and, uh, and focus on the, on the music part of it. So that must have been a huge relief for you to, uh, well, first of all, to have that option. You can go into the Army and most certainly get shipped off or to, to do the National Guard. So uh, I, I can imagine there were smiles and high fives all around whenever that uh, opportunity came. Yeah, it, it was it was kind of um, kind of scary in a way. <laughs> I mean, I had pretty much resigned myself to the fact that I may have to go and I, I was was prepared to accept that. And uh, when I was offered the opportunity to uh, to do it a different way uh, with the help of the uh, record company and all that, it, it kind of uh, was a relief of sorts, you know. But it was a very strange time. It really was just trying to maneuver in, in the business, in the music business, and at the same time, trying to make some sense of all that was going on in the world at that time. Were there other kids that you went to high school with? Uh, I'm sure there were that that went to Vietnam and didn't come back. There were some, yeah, yeah. Actually, in, in actual fact, there were. Uh, you know, it was right around. I mean, the, when all of that was going on, I had uh, had graduated from high school and and a lot of uh, and lost track with a lot of people who who graduated at the same time that I did. But right. you know, there were there were some that that were shipped off and. And there was at least one or two that I vividly recall that uh, lost, practically uh, lost in action over there. So it was a, it was a, it was a very difficult time in a lot of ways for, for a lot of people. And uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to to have some options that uh, that worked out for me in, in some respects. And uh, you know, it is what it is, or was what it was. <laughs> Joe Blunt is our guest today. He's my friend and a member of the Voices of Classic Soul alongside the former lead singers of The Temptations, The Four Tops, The Platters, and of course Joe spent over a decade with The Drifters. So it's it's the early 70s now. You've been signed by Atlantic Records with your new group, uh, True Reflection, and uh, this album 
beca- has become down through the years sort of an underground uh, soul classic that people all over the world listen to. Lots of, of hip-hop artists have sampled uh, the album. Uh, and yet, again, you sort of you know went for the brass ring, and you're in this group with a guy from the Platters, and I went on to be in the Temptations, but but it didn't quite uh, break big. How at its biggest, how big was the True Reflection? Not big enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I you know we were we were happy to have been signed by a major label, which was Atlantic Records, and uh, we really thought that. The group was going to uh, take off. Uh, they appeared to have uh, our interest in, 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 in at heart, and they were making some moves promotionally to try to get the group and the album off the ground. Uh, but it just didn't happen. You know, it's uh, it's one thing. You know, sometimes uh, this is probably something that young artists uh, should keep in mind. A lot of times, you know, signing with a major record label is is great. But at the same time, sometimes you can kind of get lost in the shuffle. Right. When they when they have a lot of uh, well-known artists already, and that fact was was vividly explained to us by a promotion man from Atlantic years ago, and uh, it basically at that time uh, we were on a label that included uh, Aretha Franklin, Wilson Pickett, the Spinners. Uh, I mean, they they just had a, a roster of major artists. And uh, one day we were talking to one of the promotion uh, guys who was tasked with the the effort to try to get the records off the ground. And uh, he just he pretty much leveled us and said, well, you know, when I walk into a radio station and I've got an album of Aretha Franklin and I got an album of Wilson Pickett and I got an album of The Spinners. And then over here, I got an album of The True Reflection. Now, which one do you think they're going to play first? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And uh, that was a, a whole uh, harsh reality, but it was a reality, you know. And uh, so the album, although we all felt very strongly about it, was put together by some uh, very talented uh, producers and arrangers and so forth at their time out of Philadelphia. And uh, the album was, was a great album, but again, it just wasn't the right time, I guess, you know. The True Reflections album, one of my favorites. I've actually got it on uh, on my iTunes list as well as have a vintage vinyl copy. And and as I talk to other music people, especially people that know classic soul and R and B, they all you know love that album. And and you guys, I mean, you 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 were right up, uh, you know, about to cross the finish line. I I've seen video of the True Reflection on uh, on TV doing major television shows like Soul Train. Uh, mm-hmm. That video is still out there online and. Uh, you know, I've seen posters, uh, uh, photographs of True Reflections posters where you appeared uh, on the same bill with all the biggest artists of that time. Um, do you remember, you know, opening for for one of the big superstars of the day and an opportunity to meet them? Or is there a, a concert from your True Reflections time that, that stands out? Well, there were uh, there were a lot of concerts that um were, were quote-unquote big concerts or whatever. I think the thing that stands out in my mind more than anything else is uh, <laughs> we were we were doing a, a tour with uh, um, some well-known artists, and uh, we, of course, were, were kind of low on the bill because we were just coming out with a, a new album, a new group, you know. Sure. And uh, I, I vividly remember doing a show with uh, – 
gentleman by the name of Mr. Al Green, who was very hot at that time. And uh, Mr. Green had a pressing engagement following the concert. And for some reason, just as we were in the wings about to go on stage, they said, wait, 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 hold up, wait a minute. Uh, Al's got to get back to Memphis, so we're going to let him go ahead, go ahead and do his thing right now. So Al Green goes out and literally sets the place on fire. Oh yeah! <laughs> you know? Oh yeah! I mean, all oh, I mean, this was when he was at the peak of his career, and you know, the the girls are screaming and hollering, and it's just going. The place just erupts. And after that, all of that, you got to okay. follow you Al got, Green. Oh, yes. Oh, you, man. <laughs> you guys run on out there and do your little thing and get it over with. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, it was it was an amazing moment, to say the least. Yeah, that's where you got to put yeah. your big boy pants on and head out there and get it done. Wow. Well, you know, the fact of the matter is, they were still hollering for Al Green when we came when we came <laughs> on stage. Yeah, I mean, he he literally just the place out. It was almost a riot as they were trying to get him out of the, the building. You know, while we we're still <laughs> coming out on stage trying to trying to do what we do. And uh, it, it, it was uh, it was an experience, <laughs> that's for sure. What an incredible story. If you're just joining us, Joe Blunt is our guest today on the Big Time Talker podcast, sponsored by Speaker Match, former lead singer of, of the Drifters. Um, so you've now been in at least two groups that have almost made it big, <laughs> but have not. And so... Uh, you know, I, I'm assuming at this point, you know, you're in your your mid to early 20s, and and you got to be pretty dejected. And and I wonder if at that point did you say, you know what, I, I'm done, I'm cashing out uh, before you get the call for the Drifters, or or where were you in in your pursuit of music? Because that has to be very demoralizing to be that close twice to really making it big. You must have been there. <laughs> <laughs> No, it, it was, it was, it really was. I had kind of, uh, you know, I hadn't put it completely out of my mind, but I had sort of settled on the possibility that it wasn't going to happen, you yeah, know. Yeah. And, and that's a, a very, uh, well, at the time, a very depressing thought, but reality is, is reality. And, you know, you you got you to gotta be able to pay the rent and, and do whatever you got to do. So I had uh, pretty much uh, resolved that it wasn't going to happen, at least not then. And uh, so I, it was a very low point in my my uh, my life, actually. And then uh, all of a sudden, I got the phone call that kind of uh, that kind of changed that all. Did you uh, did you go and get like a, a a real job at that point? You know, before you got the call to to join the Drifters, or what do you remember what you were doing? Uh, a real job. <laughs> <laughs> well, I consider the music business to be a real job. Yes. But, but, but no, actually, uh, at the time I had, uh, I had just, uh, started working for the uh, government, federal government. Um, uh, I had, uh, some friends of my family had, 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 uh, worked out some things, uh, with some folks they knew and one thing led to another and, uh, I started working in the federal government, and um, all of a sudden, I get a call from this guy <laughs> who was overseas at the time with the Temptations, Mr. Glenn Leonard, and he's uh, he's telling me that, hey, man, uh, 
I just ran into some some cats over here, you know, the drifters, and they're they're huge over here. And uh, they happened to be looking for a new a new uh, new singer because one of the guys is going solo. And I thought, what, really? And you know, he said, man, you should give them a call and just you know see what you can work out, maybe, you know. And uh, so I, I, at first I thought, wow. I'm not, I wasn't really sure, first of all, at that point, exactly what the drifters were doing, uh, because they had kind of, uh, you know, not died out completely, but they weren't all that relevant at that point, recording-wise, in the U.S. Right. But as it turns out, they were uh, extremely popular uh, and selling a lot of records in Europe, especially in, the, in London and England. That whole market was... Uh, had become a, a big market for them, unknown to a lot of the people in the U.S. So one thing led to another, and I, and I got in touch with uh, the Drifters' manager, as a matter of fact. And uh, we had a conversation, and um, I was invited to, to come up and try out, so to speak, to see how that would work out. And uh, it did, and off we went. <laughs> Now this would have been 1970. What? Uh, this was probably right at the towards the end of 1975. Okay, and so yeah. the Drifters primarily their hits had come in the very late 50s, and then all through the 60s. And as you said, you know they were sort of an, an oldies group, I guess at, at that point here in the U.S. They weren't doing you know a lot of contemporary music. Uh, and, and you're still a relatively young guy, right? You're in your mid-20s. Was there ever a thought of, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to do this, you know, I don't know if I want to be a retro guy, or was it, wow, here's a chance to be in, in this group that's had a whole bunch of hits. Maybe the, the hits are in the past, but, you know, this is this is my shot. What was your mindset? Well, it, it actually was a combination of a lot of things. Um but the, the 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 thing that tipped everything in, in the balance altogether was that uh, through a little research and from talking to uh, different folks and whatnot, I, I became aware of the fact that the drifters at that time were not only uh, a relevant oldies group as they pretty much were in the U.S. In the European market, they were a current uh recording act that was doing quite well on the charts over there and which i had no idea of uh they had had um i guess maybe four or five big chart records over there in a row that were never even released in the united states and this was all new material with a new producer and the whole nine yards and uh i was really uh, taken aback by that and so, you know, I, I made the decision to to go along with it. And even though we started off doing some engagements stateside here with the group, just kind of trying to get my, myself together with it and all. And um, uh, the next thing we knew, we was, it was time to, uh, to do the first tour of uh, England with the group. And um, we go over there and I'm on the plane and we're just about to land and and as we are getting ready to deplane, I see all these photographers and people 
people out there and, and I'm trying to figure out, well, who are all these people at the airport for? So it must be somebody famous on this plane. Because as I say, I had no idea that the Gingers had become quite big in that market. And uh, sure enough, they, they were all there waiting for our arrival. Wow. At, at London Heathrow. And I'm like, this is crazy. I don't <laughs> <laughs> Because, um, as I say, at that point, the Drippers hadn't had a a big hit record in the U.S. in years, you know. But they they had a hit record over there that was on the chart at that moment that was in the top ten on the British chart. And they had a, at that point, uh, or around that, that time frame, had probably five or six hit records that were huge in Britain especially, and in Europe, uh, that were never even released in the United States. So you go from a job in government service to being a bona fide celebrity with, with the paparazzi and people showing up at the airport when you land, which has to, to turn you out to a certain extent. Um, but you were you were a little more grounded, and I know this because I, I've been privileged to, to meet your family. You, at this point, were already a dad and, and, and you were married and you had, you know, young sons and all that. And yet you're going to wind up spending an awful lot of time traveling and spend a lot of time on England on, on British soil. How did you balance all that out? Well, it, it had its, its difficulties, but at the same time, you know, it, it was something that, uh, that I knew I had to do. I, I, it wasn't a, I didn't make a snap decision on it. I thought about it and thought about it and, and I think the the thing that uh, that stuck with me more than anything else was that, you know, I was afraid that if I didn't at least take a shot at it, years later down the down the road I might regret it. <laughs> you know? Right. So I said I, I've got to at least investigate this to the fullest extent and uh, see where where it all leads. So you know I uh, spoke to family about it and. They, and the consensus was, well, yeah, you know, you got to do what you got to do, you know. So uh, it, it was uh, sometimes uh, a little trying and a little difficult, but I managed to make it work. And that's a, that was a major for me, you know. It's been interesting as, as I've had the opportunity to, and a great fun to, to work with you and spend time with you down through the years when you've done concerts and British fans – will come up with these British albums when, you know, you were right there. And as you said, the, the group was incredibly popular again in the 70s and 1980s. And the, and they know the Joe Blunt era drifters maybe way more than they know the drifters from, from the U.S. And, and the group got so popular during this run that the most famous drifter of all came back into the fold. And you actually had the opportunity to sing and, and dance side by side several years with Ben E. King. And I wonder if you can tell me what that was like for you. Well, you know, that was, that was quite an experience. I, um, you know, having worked with uh, Johnny Moore, who was also one of the um, one of the main uh, lead singers with the Drifters, the Drifters were, were fortunate in that they had a, a, a series of, of great, great lead singers that uh, had been in the group down through the years, starting with uh, Clyde McFadder and then the, the Benny King and Johnny Moore. I, I mean, they just were fortunate in having a, a just a large number of uh, really great lead singers. So when I first joined the group, uh, Johnny Moore was the, the primary lead singer. And of course he was the, the guy that sung the lead on 
under the boardwalk and Saturday night in the movies and all that. And just, he just had a, a great classic voice and a very memorable sound. And towards the, well, right after, well, not right after, but after I had joined the group uh, and had been singing with Johnny for a while, which in itself was an experience. And then Benny Keene came back to the group who, you know, he, as, as it turns out, a lot of people probably didn't realize at the time that, you know, Benny King and Johnny Moore had never, prior to this point, had never actually sang in the group at the same time. Wow. Uh, there were two, it was two different eras. Johnny was there in the early 50s. Uh, and then Johnny went off to service himself, and uh, Benny came in and did a couple of things, and then Benny went solo. And so they never had worked together until this point in the uh, mid seventies when they, when Benny came back and joined with Johnny and myself and a guy named Clyde Brown. And, and we went out there, you know, with the, with the whole new show and, and it was really uh, starting to really pick up momentum when Johnny and Ben were put together. And it was, it was quite a group. It really was. Now, both those gentlemen have, have passed. Benny King passed recently, Johnny Moore some yeah. time ago. Uh, can mm. you tell me about, what those guys were like in person. Can you give me a, a, a little, you know, when you're not on stage, you're not in front of people, what, how would you describe, first of all, Johnny Moore? What was he like? Well, Johnny was, was uh, uh, definitely a professional in terms of, you know, the way he handled himself on stage and off. You know, he was a, he was a good guy to be around. And, and, of course, he had a signature voice, you know, like none other. You know, Johnny was was an amazing singer. Uh, and even when I first joined the group, he wasn't exactly a young kid then, you know? Right. And, uh, but he still had those, that, that great tenor voice and uh, the personality to go along with it. And when Ben came back into the group, you know, we all were, were wondering, okay, well, let's see how this is going to work. Because he and, he and Johnny had never actually worked together in the group at the same time at that point. So there was some question as to how they were going to get along and, and all that. And it just worked out beautifully. I mean, uh, they, they used to sit and play cards all the time uh, prior to the show and whatnot. And, uh, and just to have the two of them, uh, I mean, they, they both were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And, right. And, you know, it, it, was, it was a major, major thing, that's for sure. And I know you stayed close to, to Benny King and, and his family uh, for many years, and you attended the services. What? Uh, here's a guy that, that had not only huge hits with the Drifters, but you know songs like Stand By Me and, and Spanish Harlem that, that are just legendary, timeless songs. What, what was yeah. Benny King like uh, in person? Benny was, was, was the, 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 well, first of all, he, he was really one of the most down-to-earth people I think I've ever met. You know, to have had the kind of success that he that he had in, in, in the music business, he was always smiling. He was always courteous to people. He he just he just had a way about him that endeared him to the fans for sure. And he was a genuine great guy and a, and a great vocalist as well. So I mean, it was it was quite an experience working with uh, with both of them, Johnny and and Ben. And uh, they, the music business is has certainly missed them over, as both of them have passed on. But it was it was quite an experience to just be in their company. 
I, uh, I've seen video of you performing on television with both those guys. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you, you can kind of read things into things. But I wonder, as I looked at some of that video, I looked at you, you know, the younger guy, and you're surrounded by these legendary singers. And I wonder if there were ever times, because it certainly looked this way in the video, where you were thinking somewhere deep inside as you're singing and dancing, I can't believe I am on this stage in England with Benny King and Johnny Moore as a member of the Drifters. Were there ever those kind of pinch me moments for you? No. (laughs) (laughs) They were just happy to be on the stage with me, Joe Blunt. (laughs) Uh, No, it definitely was a a lot of times when when, uh, I'd have to catch myself and just say, oh, wait a minute, no, no, don't forget. Now you've got a show to do here. Yeah, yeah. uh, and and because of the fact that obviously uh, Benny and, and Johnny sang lead on most of the, the a lot of the big hits that the Drippers had, uh, so of course they were they were doing most of the leads anyway, and uh, and rightfully so. And uh, but the, the, the just to just to be in in that company was an honor first of all and an enjoyable experience as well. Yeah, it'd be hard, I guess, not to to sort of lose where you are and just watch and go, wow, that sounds just like the record. That's amazing. And <laughs> you got to lock back in. Uh, Joe Blunt is our guest today, former lead singer of the Drifters, currently a member of Voices of Classic Soul. Um, and now in Voices of Classic Soul, of course, you sing those those Drifter songs that have become part of the soundtrack to, to many of our lives and not just people of those generations of the 60s and the 70s. It's... These songs have lived on through movies and television shows. Um, but as somebody who's been so intimately familiar with that material for so many years, what is it about some of those Drifter songs that you think have made them timeless? Because so much music, you know, it, it's kind of there and gone. But those songs, I mean, uh, you look at On Broadway or This Magic Moment. Uh, I mean, uh, many of those, Save the Last Dance for me, those songs are just timeless. But what is it, what's the essence that makes them timeless? Well, I think there are probably uh, a couple of things that come to my mind. Uh, one is the, the songs are written by some really great songwriters, number one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, some of the material was just so phenomenal uh, during the, the periods that those uh, songs came out. I mean, songs like Under the Boardwalk and, and Up on the Roof and uh, uh, Save the Last Dance for Me. These, these songs were, first of all, written by some great songwriters. And secondly, I think that there are so many people that these songs bring back memories to. You know, there's so many people that we talk to sometimes and we're signing autographs and they say, oh, I remember when such and such song came out and, and I was uh, doing this or I was in school or I was uh, meeting my first love or whatever the case may be, uh, that bring back memories to people, good memories. And uh, they, 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 that's why one of the reasons why the songs are essentially timeless because they they evoke all sorts of memories from people. And I've heard a lot of young people who weren't even alive when those songs came out, but through listening to what their parents were playing on the on the uh, record players and so forth, that they have become endeared to the the music as well, which is amazing when you when you have a young kid who comes up and say, oh, I love this song, and, and blah, 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 blah. And you're like, what do you know about this song? You weren't even <laughs> born with this, with this, you know, but they know the music. They know the music from the learning and hearing it from their, their parents and grandparents and so forth. 
And uh, so it certainly is timeless. And there were some great songwriters during that time as well, that uh, uh, people like Carol King and and uh, just a, a, some phenomenal songwriters who put a lot of that stuff together and uh, made it work, you know. Yeah, you hear the lyrics, even today, to a song like Up on the Roof. And it's just mm-hmm. so, uh, it touches everyone. You know, the, you, oh, yeah. it, it puts you right in that place. Uh, so mm-hmm. some of those songs are, are just, uh, you know, incredible. And, and as a guy who has now sung all those songs for many, many years, uh, is, there, is there a favorite song from the Drifters? One that, for you to sing, that you really enjoy singing? Well, I enjoy singing all of them. <laughs> I think that's the correct answer, right? I think that is a good uh, answer. It's a politically <laughs> correct answer, but we want the real skinny here. Well, you know, myself, uh, growing up even, uh, a lot of the older songs that uh, were being played during the time that I was in a, maybe a young teenager or whatever are songs that still resonate with me even now. It sounds like uh, On Broadway was one of my favorite songs of the Drifters for many years. Uh, the great uh, Rudy Lewis, who was the lead singer on that song, he just had a, a voice that I, I found to be uh, just captivating. And uh, so uh, I, I probably would say on Broadway, it was probably my favorite, personally, favorite Drifter song, because I enjoyed Under the Boardwalk and Saturday Night, the movies. There were, there were just a lot of songs that, that bring back memories to me growing up, you know. But my very, very... My, my favorite has got to be on Broadway. What yeah. a terrific song, and, and a song that, that I guess means an awful lot to every musician, every performer who struggled to be out there. Joe Blunt is our guest today on the Big Time Talker podcast, former lead singer of the Drifters for over a decade alongside Benny King and Johnny Moore, and now a member of Voices of Classic Soul. And, and let's bring it up to today. Um, it was just, you know, earlier in 2020, you're doing a week's worth of performances at Bush Gardens in Tampa. You're doing a, a huge charity concert uh, also in Florida. And then everything, you know, comes to a halt. And for a guy like you who has spent his entire life, you know, over five decades performing for people, this must be a really odd time to not be able to do that. Well, yeah. I think that's probably an understatement. <laughs> what is yeah, what does Joe Blunt do with himself when he can't perform, when he can't get out there and meet people? I mean, uh, your day's got to be completely different. How do you occupy your time now? Well, it's not been easy. Let's put it like that. It's uh, it's certainly uh, different, to say the least. Uh, I have tried to, to stay uh, up on what's going on out there in the music, and at the same time, hoping that all that's happening in the news right now will will somehow or the other subside and we can get back to doing things the way but I'm not I don't know I'm not sure that it's ever going to be quite the way that it was before just because of the situation hopefully they'll they'll find a solution to the pandemic and all that and and maybe things will 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 get back to some kind of normal but I don't know if it'll ever be like it was you know, this has really impacted everybody in all walks of life. And, you know, people probably look at guys and, and, and girls who perform in the music business as, you know, well, you know, yeah, they'll be all right kind of thing. But uh, 
the fact of the matter is that it's it's something that has impacted everybody on all levels, and it certainly has impacted the, those of us who who do music uh, for a living, because uh, it's it's a whole new ball game, and it's about trying to figure out ways to reinvent yourself and and stay uh, relevant in in today's uh, social and and music. Uh, entities and and it's 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 really been something that has caught everybody kind of off guard and everybody's scrambling trying to figure out a way to, to get around it all i guess you know you make a really good point in that uh folks think of of you they think of a, you know joe blunt who was with the drifters and sings with with you know the temptations and the four tops and the platters and and you know you're going to be okay but it really does affect everyone from soup to nuts and and people don't think about the sound guys and the lighting techs and i mean it's it's literally everybody from uh the person that cleans up the bathroom in the theater all the way up to the performers on stage and everyone in between the ticket takers the promoters the agents i mean it's it's uh all the way across the board i actually talked to someone joe at uh, the united states senator's office yesterday and and she was bemoaning the fact that in many cities and towns all over america the live music venue has closed. The local theater there has closed, and that yeah. not only affects the you know the 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 fans that come out to the show, but generally speaking, those folks go out to dinner before the show. So it hurts the exactly. restaurants. It hurts yeah. the uh, the parking lots. the The hotel motel taxes are way way down in these cities, and so it's uh, and it looks like it may be you know all those that one of the first to close, it may be one of the last to come back. Um, so I, you know I appreciate you taking some time to to chat with us about it today. Before you jump. I want to talk about this group that you're in now, though, Voices of Classic Soul, because it is you and your lifetime friend, Joe Coleman, and, and that's got to be really special just to begin with, somebody that you started off with that you sang with in that children's choir, but you now are in a group with a guy uh, who is the only one in Motown history, the only singer to have ever been in Motown's two biggest groups. He was in The Temptations and in The Four Tops, Theo Peoples. So... What's that that whole mixture that that mix like with the three of you on stage? Well, you know, it's it's an amazing amazing uh, situation here. Uh, Theo, uh, I was familiar with with his vocals from when he first joined the Temptations, and and I first heard his voice, and I thought, wow, yeah, you know, because he, he came in at a time when he was replacing someone who who was an amazing vocalist as well. And you know it's it's not easy to step in the shoes of somebody uh, like the person person he was replacing when he joined the Temptation. Sure. And and he he definitely was up to the to the task. He came in and uh, his vocal is so is so strong and so uh, magnetic that uh, you know he he's just an amazing amazing performer. And then to to on top of that to be a genuinely nice guy, you know that that helps a lot too. It oh, really does. Yeah, no, no. It's when when you guys are joined at the hip like that, it's got to make a huge difference. And you talk about what a singer he is. You know, after that very successful stint in the the Temptations, where they that's when that group had their big comeback and they had you know Grammy awards and and all that. Then to join the mm-hmm. Four Tops as as uh, sort of the, the hand-picked replacement for Levi Stubbs. And, yeah. you know, I've seen some video of him with the Four Tops where it was the Theo Peoples show, you know, with the, the three guys in the back, and they pushed Theo up front and kept that spotlight on him for the entire that entire performance. So, 
Absolutely. How does the, in your opinion, how does the music meld together when you've got those sort of three eras of music? You've got the, the you know, the, the platters with those late 50s, uh, you know, timeless love songs, the drifters and that beach music from the 60s. And then Theo sort of brings in that, that late 60s and, and 70s Temptations and Four Tops sound. Do, do you think it all works well? And what do the audiences tell you about that? Well, I, I think the um, that the best way to to explain that is that good music is good music, regardless of how old it is or where it comes from. And I think that uh, the three of us were fortunate enough to to have been around some people who who we've all learned from musically, and we're doing something that we love to do with some material that is, has always been phenomenal material anyway. And we're just trying to, to make it go on from now on, you know, and to introduce a whole new set of young people to some of the music from the past. And at the same time to expand on it and to, to come forward with some new material as well of our own. So I think that um, in, in looking at the overall picture right now, we're, we're at a place where, where we want to to take it to the next level. You know, we've all had some ex some experience and some success with the various groups that we've been in, but we want it to be a success that spills over into the voices of classic soul. And that's what we're looking to do, to, to bring it out there with some new sounds and some new material and, and the whole nine yards. I love it. You've touched on, on three very important things in this conversation. Your first your favorites, and now the future with the Voices of Classic Soul. You can visit them online, by the way, at VoicesOfClassicSoul.com. That's VoicesOfClassicSoul.com. Joe Coleman, former lead vocalist of the Platters, Theo Peoples from the Temps and the Tops, and our guest on the program today, Joe Blunt, former lead vocalist for over a decade with the Drifters. Thank you for spending time with me today, my friend. Stay well. All right. It's been my pleasure. That's Joe Blunt, our guest on the Big Time Talker podcast, the service of SpeakerMatch.com, our sponsor. Thank you so much, and thank you for listening. Wherever you are, whatever you do today, go out and make it a great day. Bye, everybody.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.